Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. South Africa is possibly the most resource-rich nation in the world. Yet, today, it is a failed state. What happened? And why should you care? About 370 years ago, a Dutch navigator established a small colony on the Cape of Good Hope, the southern tip of South Africa. And when he got there, there weren't really any other people around. The native tribes grew their crops much farther north. And so the region where this Dutch navigator landed was pretty much completely unpopulated. The Dutch were the pioneers and later they were joined by German and French Huguenot immigrants who came to South Africa to farm. These immigrants, these settlers, seemed to realize that they were descended from ancient Israel. This is all some just valuable history. In an article from the March 2022 Philadelphia Trumpet titled, a warning from South Africa. But these settlers in South Africa understood their history pretty well, and they cared about God and the Bible. The English took control of this cape, the Cape of Good Hope, in 1806, and so the Dutch began trekking into the interior of the continent. They met some Bantu tribes migrating south. And these native tribes were actually fleeing from the Zulu Empire and the Nguni, who were slaughtering millions in the indigenous communities. Revisionist history today would tell you otherwise, that only white settlers ever could possibly commit genocide. Here you have tribes slaughtering tribes. So the Afrikaners or the Dutch sent emissaries farther north to seek peace. But the Zulu king had them clubbed to death. Not exactly a kind welcome to South Africa. So, of course, this started a war in 1909. The various states within the region were merged into the Union of South Africa. This was a dominion of the British Empire. And it was a wealthy union. It was part of safeguarding trade routes to India it accounted for 20% of all Africa's agricultural output. 
25% of the continent's gross domestic product, 50% of the electricity, and 60% of the industrial production. Again, South Africa is probably to this day the most resource-rich nation on earth. Minerals and metals, part of the dominance of the English-speaking peoples, the dominance of the modern descendants of ancient Israel, just as God promised in the Bible that these descendants would be blessed. South Africa was a major part of Israel being blessed. But the problem is, anytime you find God's blessings, you will also find a vicious attack against those blessings to try to take them away. The devil hates God's promises. He hates God's plan. And anytime God decides to bless a group of people, the devil will fight against that. So what happened to South Africa? They became a target of the evil empire, the Soviet Union. The Soviets infiltrated South African politics. And it was all about seizing this treasure trove of minerals. This was the Soviet Union's way of competing with the West. If they could take over South Africa, they could take over a huge supply of resources. And their economy, they thought, would rival Western economies, Israelitish economies. Andrew Miller writes, So they established a communist party in South Africa and went to work. Andrew Miller describes in this article the moral decline that affected and eventually crippled South Africa, just like it has in America and Britain and Canada and Australia. So many of these Israelite nations... The moral decline allows for a devastating attack from within. Andrew Miller writes, in South Africa, moral decline created fertile soil for communism. Notice, communism really isn't about race. Communists don't care about race, even if they might pretend to sometimes. They care about power. They care about seizing and hoarding wealth to increase their power. It's really all about power. Now, the reason I say it's not about race, there's this pretty obvious example in South Africa. In the 1920s, the South African Communist Party targeted white miners, so those who dug in the mines. They wanted the white miners to become their main voting base. And eventually they abandoned that strategy. 
and started to target the black population instead. You see, it was all about targeting the group that they thought would be most susceptible to their demoralizing message. If it happened to be a white group, great. If it didn't, no big deal. They'll find a different group. That's what they always do. So the communists started to target the black population, but that wasn't even their first target. The communists had to stir up bitterness in the black population to win them over to their side. And so the obvious way to do this was to point out the fact that blacks were not allowed to vote in South Africa. Andrew Miller writes that granting universal suffrage or allowing everyone to vote would blot out what remained of the Judeo-Christian principles that the European settlers of South Africa believed in. Ultimately, it was a battle between God and godlessness. Were they going to serve and obey God? Or were they going to turn to communist, atheistic lawlessness? Eventually, they made their choice there in South Africa. This race problem slowly festered, spurred on by the, the communists within South Africa who were working on behalf of the Soviet Union. Eventually, it was not good enough to have separate but equal paths for the black population and the white population. It was not good enough to slowly prepare the black tribes for citizenship. They had to be able to vote right away. And if they were not allowed to, they were going to commit terrorist attacks. A terrorist group soon developed called Spear of the Nation. And it fought against the government. And it committed dozens of terrorist attacks. And you know who was part of this terrorist group? Playing on this racial tension in South Africa. And trying to turn the black population against the government. That was slowly trying to integrate them into the voting system. Nelson Mandela was one of those communist terrorists. He became the president of South Africa in 1994. And he received a lot of support from communist dictators around the world from the Soviet Union from Cuba from Libya from other places and Nelson Mandela was known for saying that I'm not going to reject support from anyone I don't mind if they have this godless evil ideology if they're nice to South Africa that's all I care about and of course <laughs> deep down he had those communist roots as well. So of course he's going to support the communists and welcome 
their support. But Nelson Mandela preached peace. He preached a peaceful, multicultural society. And yet, how has that worked out? Is this really a success story in South Africa? South Africa is now a member of the BRICS alliance. Brazil, Russia, India, and China, along with South Africa. That acronym spells BRICS without the K. (laughs) So basically, South Africa is aligned with some hostile Gentile nations against their Israelite brothers today. They are with Russia and China against America and Britain. What a horrible turn of events. South Africa is now anti-West under the rulership of the African National Congress. South Africa is on the verge of becoming the world's next Cuba, Venezuela, or Zimbabwe, Andrew Miller writes. He says here in this article, the first nation built on the anti-white principles of critical race theory is now a failed state and easy prey. It is a warning to the rest of the English-speaking world. So communists obviously care most of all about power. But in South Africa, they had to get power with the help of the black majority population. And so once the sides are chosen and the battle lines are drawn, then perhaps it does become a race issue. If the communists are primarily on the black side, then of course they're obviously going to support the black side and by default fight against the white side. There are some really disturbing news stories coming out of South Africa all the time. And almost every one of them, you can see that to reverse the nation's history of apartheid, where the white and black populations were kept separate as much as possible, in this slow effort to integrate the black population, in an attempt to reverse apartheid, it's really just a grotesque display of anti-white racism. Any type of racism is horrible and atrocious. I'm not trying to say that it's only bad when it's against whites. It's always bad. But just think, if they thought it was bad for whites to supposedly abuse them, Does it make it right for them to turn around and abuse whites? Is that the solution? Here's another article by Andrew Miller from a few years ago at thetrumpet.com. Farm attacks surge in South Africa. There were 552 attacks on farmers in South Africa in 2019. 552. I mean, that's getting up to close to two per day. I mean, farms normally they're out in the middle of nowhere. You have to make a lot of effort. You have to plan a lot to go out there and attack a a farm. 
And think about why that never happens in the United States. Why are they having one or two a day in South Africa, but it never happens here in the U.S.? Well, it's a lot harder to have guns in South Africa to protect yourself. Those who try to attack a farm in America know they're going to get blown away. Now, it's not entirely racial, these farm attacks. 14% of farm murder victims are black as well. But the problem is, as Andrew Miller writes here, almost every farm torture victim is white. Ultimately, people who are attacking farms are trying to seize the land for themselves most of the time. Maybe they think they have something to gain financially from it. So even if the, the, farm, the farm owner is black, well, killing that farm owner would still serve their purpose, they think. But they are certainly a lot more vicious when they find white farmers. They subject white farmers to torture and not the black ones. It includes pouring boiling water down their ears, boring holes into them with power tools, burning them with hot irons, and eventually just slitting their throats. Just absolutely reprehensible behavior, of course. And the problem as well is that the number of farm attacks actually spikes when a politician delivers an anti-white speech. They rile up their voting base to go out there and commit more farm attacks. That is statistically provable, as Andrew Miller shows here in this article. But that's far from the only problem in South Africa. South Africa is also suffering from rolling blackouts, blackouts that may soon last as long as 14 hours, where tax-paying citizens in South Africa just live in the dark all day long with their electricity shut off. The nation has gone through power cuts for the past 15 years. Now, this is completely inexcusable in what is possibly the most resource-rich nation on earth. But it is a victim of communism. The electricity grid is state-run. And the communist government is forcing the state-run electricity company to give free electricity to their voting, their voting base. So basically, the black population hardly has any power outages. And then the white population has power outages all the time. Even though the black population is poor and, and generally a lot worse off than the white population. So it's the opposite of what you would assume. The whites who are able to afford power still can't get it because of government corruption, because of malice in the government against them. Here's another article from thetrumpet.com just from a few days ago. South Africa is now a fully-fledged mafia state. And this talks about how whistleblowers are killed. They're under attack all the time. 
They're being assassinated mafia style in the streets if they would dare investigate and try to expose government corruption. There are, there are gangs and so many politicians involved in money laundering and all kinds of illegal schemes. This is not a rainbow nation at peace with itself and the world as Nelson Mandela promised it would be. South Africa still has minerals and farmland and the ideal weather, and yet it is a failed state. What does that say to us? What can we learn from that? Well, for one thing, we here in America need to flee from communism. We've gotten way too friendly with communism by voting in the likes of Barack Obama and Joe Biden and flirting with voting in someone like Bernie Sanders. The problem is it's hard to know exactly how bad communism is until you experience it yourself. And so a lot of these ignorant hippies who vote for communists have no idea the destruction that they are asking for. And they would literally have to be jolted by the hard, cold reality before they would ever admit that they're wrong. Here's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 7. Discussing the curses on the end time nations of Israel, including South Africa, including these other nations that really should take a strong warning from the plight of South Africa. Ezekiel 7 verses 23 through 27. Make a chain. For the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. Wherefore I will bring the worst of the heathen, and they shall possess their houses. I will also make the pomp of the strong to cease, and their holy places shall be defiled. Destruction comes, and they shall seek peace, and there shall be none. Mischief shall come upon mischief, and rumor shall be upon rumor. Then shall they seek a vision of the prophet, but the law shall perish from the priest and counsel from the ancients. The king shall mourn and the prince shall be clothed with desolation and the hands of the people of the land shall be troubled. I will do unto them after their way and according to their deserts will I judge them and they shall know that I am the Lord. You see, so much of the problems in South Africa are a result of a failure of whites and blacks to get along. And then communism gets in and seizes on that bitterness. And it makes easy prey of a nation like South Africa that has declined morally and rejected God. And God says it's about to get a lot more violent and a lot more hopeless before it gets any better. Here's what it says on our in our, on page six of our free ebook, South Africa in Prophecy, which you can get for free at thetrumpet.com. Disaster looms huge on the horizon of South Africa. As godless communism has its day bringing an ANC-dominated government to power with the apparent full endorsement of Western society. 
Mr. Gerald Flurry said back in the 1990s that South Africa became the first of the Anglo-Saxon nations to throw away its birthright. So what a powerful warning that ought to be to America, Britain, and all the rest. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.